episode of the Whole Nine Sports Podcast. I am your host, as usual, Dylan Sanders. We have with me Brendan Olson, as usual, and this time we actually have a very special guest with us who I'll let introduce himself. Uh, hey, I'm Thorne Eistrom from Roto World. Uh, good to be here, guys. Sorry, I just wanted to make you, I want to throw you off and make you introduce yourself. You don't sure. get star treatment on, on this here Whole Nine Sports Podcast. <laughs> I respect it. How uh, how's everyone doing today? Doing great, man. How you doing? Uh, really. Um, I've I've been better. I stayed up, stayed out too late last night. Forgot I had to work a ten to eight ten a ten to eight shift. So right now I'm at the gym. I'm at my gym's uh, server room, uh, doing this on my phone because my laptop doesn't want to work. I'm in the server room. I can touch the Wi-Fi thing, and it my computer won't connect to it for whatever reason. So we're going on the fly today. Fun. How'd you, how, how was your night, Bolson? Uh, it, it was pretty fun. Uh, went to a club out here. They wouldn't let us request a song at the bar, so I uh, I found the DJ on Instagram and DM'd him the request, and he actually What'd listened to it. That was fun. Uh, and you're not gonna... It's called Bola He Bola by Anita. Yeah, it's it's a Brazilian song, so... As lame as that sounds, it's so anticlimactic. All right, so I guess we can uh, just go ahead and get to it because Thor's time is very valuable. And we don't want to waste it. Um, so our first question for you, we'll just go, we'll just dive right into it. First question. So we've had a lot of scandal over our Twitter handles, a lot of back and forth hatred between me and Bolson. Uh, we want to know why your Twitter handle is Thor Ku Thorku. <laughs> um. Because of my undergrad, actually, they, uh, they, you know, I, I, I signed up for Twitter in, I think it was May of 2009. I had to do it because I got an internship with MLB.com. I was like the associate reporter for the twins or whatever. And so MLB.com said, you have to, to sign up with a, a Twitter handle. Well, my email at Kansas, I just finished undergrad. Um, I, you know, I graduated in the middle of May and I started the MLB.com job basically the next day. And my email at KU had been, Thor KU at whatever, you know, at KU.edu or whatever. And so I just, they said I had to create it. So I just typed in Thorku. That was that. It's not very interesting, but that's the truth. (laughs) I have my fist in the air because I called it. I literally was like, is that Thor Kansas University? I called it. That's right. It was like five minutes ago. I'm so happy. (laughs) My hand is in the air. I I actually have a question that wasn't on the rundown now that I know this is a fact. So your real name is Thor. Like I, this whole time, I thought you were going by like an alias. Uh, no, 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 that's my real name. Why? Like, I, like, did your parents like name you after like the God of Thunder? Uh that was that sounded very <laughs> insulting. Well, <laughs> it's meant to be. I, my favorite. I, can say I mean, that, like. <laughs> I mean, it. They didn't name it after the movie, seeing as though the movie wasn't going to come out for another twenty plus years or so. Um, there was a comic you know book character and obviously the the mythology and stuff like that that the the real story is that my dad's name is bob and when he was in kindergarten in brainerd up north there was like six bobs in his class and so they they did you know the teacher to differentiate it was like one was bob one was bobby one was rob one was robbie and one was you know something else some other iteration of that and my dad got one that ticked him off i think my dad had to be like robbie or something and it pissed him off basically his entire life and so he's like when i have a son i'm gonna name him a name that nobody else has so he doesn't get 
screwed by his kindergarten teacher. That's the story. That doesn't seem like a very efficient way of differentiating. Can you go by like class names? Uh, like I mean, I suppose. I suppose you could have, but I mean, listen, it's, it was like the 1960s and Brainerd, you know, I mean, they're, they're talking with, you know, kindergarten kids or whatever. I, I think they're just trying to give them a moniker that'll stick going forward. Yeah. (laughs) That's okay. Yeah. That's very fair. I mean, it's 2019. We use last names around these parts, except I'm down with that. I don't know. Dylan is a very common first name. I knew 18 Dylans growing up. But also Sanders is also a very common last name, so I'm just, I'm all over the place. Fun fact, Charlie's Angels, Drew Barrymore's character is named Dylan Sanders. So if you look me up, all you will see is pictures of Drew Barrymore. (laughs) There you go. My goal is for this podcast to become popular enough to where I show up before Drew Barrymore. That's never going to happen, Dylan. I'm sorry to break it. (laughs) Good luck. I'm better looking than her too. All right. That's um, <laughs> so we, we can we we have you we have you on here to talk about sports. I guess I don't know. I just like having on you because I enjoy you as a personality. Um, but we wanted to uh, to get in. You recently did a mock draft, a 2020 mock draft for Water World, Roto World. No matter how early it is, it's never too early to look into the future. Um, so we want to ask you a couple questions about that. Uh, so what were some of your favorite fits from the 2020 mock draft? Like your favorite, why, like your favorite fits? Yeah, I would say two in the top six. I, I love the fit of LaVisca Chenault with the Broncos that the symmetry there, you know, being the local kid from Colorado, you know, he's just got to go up, you know, 40 miles up the road from Boulder to get to Denver. Um, and obviously they have a very pressing wide receiver need and we're going to find out after this season just how pressing it is depending on you know how far Cortland Sutton and, and Deshaun Hamilton progress etc but I anticipate that being one of their primary needs heading into the next draft and I think he's a perfect fit now the Broncos are going to probably have to pick in the top 10 to have a shot at Chanel but uh seeing as though their quarterbacks are Joe Flacco and Drew Drew Locke I, I think there's a, a real shot of that so I, I, I really like that fit, <laughs> and uh, especially, man, uh, going to an offense with two quarterbacks that struggle mightily with accuracy. Uh, I'll, with LaVisca, all you got to do is just feed him, you know, shots on the perimeter. You know, I mean, he, he could do basically everything, but, you know, I mean, at, at Colorado, he's so difficult to tackle on the perimeter. You know, just fling, you know, Montez just flings it out there, and no Pac-12 corner can, can cover him. So, you know, he'd, he'd help out Locke in, in, you know, what I assume would be Locke's first season as a starter in 2020. Um, the other one at the top that I, I really like, this is a more obvious one, you know, ubiquitous, but Tua Tagovailoa with what is going to be the Las Vegas uh, Raiders. I, I just think it's a it's a really good fit. You know, all, all the win projections and all the Vegas odds, they all of them are putting the Raiders in the bottom three. You know, you look at those teams that are being projected as bottom eight, nine, ten teams. Most of them have their young quarterbacks, you know, including like, you know, the Broncos, obviously the Redskins, now the Dolphins trading for Rosen. And so it's hard to find, um, you know, fits for, say, Tego Vailoa and Justin Herbert. Um, and, you know, the Raiders are a team, if they do finish as poorly as everybody is projecting them to finish, 
I, I think they're going to be looking for a quarterback. I don't, I don't think you, you know, you, you get a, a top three pick again, you know, whatever. And then you roll it forward with Derek Carr again. I, I think if they were picking, you know, in the top three, um, they're going to elect to turn the page forward. They're moving to Las Vegas. You bring in Tago Vailoa. What one really cool thing about him. I mean, it's not just like sort of turning the page forward with the franchise, moving to Las Vegas. It's not just Mike Mayock getting to stamp, you know, put his stamp on the future of the franchise. It's not just John Gruden getting his, you know, traditional West Coast. Uh, style quarterback, you know, with the mobility and everything like that, because Carr is, has has been sort of an uneasy fit in, in you know into John Gruden's system and everything like that. I also really love the symmetry with uh, you know the Raiders going back to Ken Stabler, another left-handed mobile quarterback from Alabama back in the day. Now they they moved to Las Vegas. You know, you sort of turn back the clock. Um, so I, I I really like that fit too at the top of the board. Damn. All right. I I mean that. That to a fit would be amazing with the Raiders, especially if they're in the top 10. Yeah, I would think that they would have to move on from Carr at that point just because their draft this year is great. And just another year of struggling, adding Antonio Brown, another year as bad as they just were, I don't think they would keep Carr at all. Agreed. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's already been talked about. It's been already been talked about enough of them moving on from Carr. I just think it needs to happen already. I don't hate Derek Carr. But I just I don't think he's gonna work out in Oakland. I really don't. This is one of those things like for twenty twenty mocks that, um, you know, the too early ones, you know, in general, as a sort of form that that makes it difficult is, you know, we don't know where these teams are gonna end up. You know, I mean, not only do we have very very incomplete information with every specific prospect, you know, in question, but also with the teams themselves. So, you know. The, the way that you do the orders of these things, you have two choices. No, you know, no writer is just going to willy nilly pick the order themselves. Your, your two options are either basically to go with a guy like Mike Clay, his win projection, just do the inverse, or you just do the inverse of a Super Bowl odds, depending at the book you pick. You can pick any one. But once you have that slotted, you, I mean, that's sort of the reality that you're existing within for the mock, you know, and like, it, it annoyed me so much in like the two days after I put that mock draft out, my mentions were just filled by like all these NFL fans just being like, you're such a dumb, I, I don't know if I can swear on this thing, but you're such a dumb, you Say know, whatever you want. bass. Say whatever you want. All right, they were calling me a dumbass and a dipshit and stuff like that because, like, I had, you know, the Raiders up top. And it's like, well, this was Mike Clay's projection. Like, all the Raiders fans are upset with me. The Redskins fans were all upset with me that they were picking third. It's like, guys, you have to you have to just arbitrarily pick some sort of system just to be able to do the mock draft itself. You know, this is the, 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 the conceit of the too early mock draft medium, you know, in and of itself. It's a vehicle to pass along information about prospects that the general public doesn't know very much about. You know, it, it, it doesn't have to do with me thinking I'm going to nail 32 of these 32 picks. Anyway, the, the reason I say all this is because in that reality where the Raiders have a top three pick, that's where, you know, that's the reality in which we're making that pick for them. If they're in the top three, it assuredly means that, that Derek Carr has regressed again. And if Derek Carr has regressed again, you can't go forward with him if Tua Tagovailo is on the board because you can do the thing where you take, you know, like, you know, say in this scenario here, Raiders take Tagovailoa number one overall. Well, you can flip Carr, you know, to one of these teams down the board. You know, let's say, um, I don't know, let's say Phil Rivers retired, 
right? You know, I the, the Chargers in this thing are, are picking twenty seven. Well, if, if Phil Rivers retired, you know, and 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 you know, even if Jeff, Jake Fromm takes a step forward, I don't think there's going to be. It, it would take someone really jumping up the board like a Dwayne Haskins that we haven't seen before for there to be you know fourth uh, first round quarterback. Um, and so, like, I I don't know that the Chargers could sort of go into that draft, you know, knowing that they were going to get someone a team like that. You know, maybe they you know they do a a kind of a trade. Maybe they even give up a bit more than the Broncos gave up for Flacco. You know, we've seen the, the Keenum trade in recent years, stuff like that. We have a sort of precedent for the market of this. The, the Raiders could recoup a middle-round pick for Derek Carr. You take Tagovailoa at the top, they're going to have a second first-round pick from the Bears. So, you, you know, you can, you can you know, plug one of your other holes there. You have that additional pick later on. Um, so I think that they'd be able to do some stuff within that reality. However, if the Raiders are better than folks think, you know, if the Raiders make a playoff run or whatever, of course they're not getting Tagovailoa. You know, and it's just like, like, do I have to be Captain Obvious, like, at the top of these mock drafts and, like, explain this stuff? It's like, like you know, you, you sort of trust the reader a bit on, on those kinds of things. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, if they're not picking in the top 10, they're not taking Tagovailoa, and they're probably not moving on from Carr, you know, obviously. Yeah, I, I feel like most of most of these way-too-early mock drafts, like, if I'm paying attention to like to anything, I'm definitely not paying attention to whatever the team. I'm looking for like the order of prospects because that's what really that's what really is being said. Like AJ Espinosa, Espinosa uh, DE one. That's like that's like I'm not thinking about him going uh, to the Dolphins. I think it was, um, wasn't it? Yeah, Dolphins. Yeah, I yes. yeah, Adam number uh, two I'm to the Dolphins. Yeah, going to the Dolphins. I'm thinking like that says he's your top, he's your defensive end one. That's that's what I feel like is is uh the most important thing to come out of like way too early mock drafts people i know i mean I definitely know people uh take them take themselves like take their team like they see like that number one like how dare you say that we're gonna finish last it's it's annoying <laughs> yeah let me tell you guys a story about these so last year i did the you know last year around this time last year after the draft you know week after the draft or whatever i put, I put on my too early 2019 draft and you know, so I, you know, I sort of knew in my head the guys that I'd put in there. Well, I was kind of embarrassed about the thing. You know, like a year later, I was like, I hope nobody brings this up because I, I knew that I, like, I, had, I, I think I had, I had at least two, well, at least one guy at the top of my head that went undrafted that I had in there. And so anyway, I thought that I'd done really poorly. Well, Ryan McDowell, my boy on Twitter, he put out a tweet where apparently Ryan McDowell had aggregated all of the 2019 too early mock drafts and apparently i finished second best in the industry in terms of correctly predicted first round picks and i think i i either did 14 or 15 dane brugler finished first he was one ahead of me um but what's you know what's hilarious about that is i thought that i had just abjectly failed because i had some of these guys in there that turned out to not you know be even come close to sniff in the first round and it, it just goes to show you the the profiles of these guys are so incomplete at this time. I mean, just think of it. We don't have their most valuable season, so we we, we you know, and the, they, these guys only play three or four seasons of college football. Some of you, some only play two, you know. And but well, hell, Dwayne Haskins only played one, you know, whatever. So so we don't have their most valuable, you know, that most valuable data set. We also don't have their athletic profiles. Some of these guys, I have some of their athletic stuff, like. For instance, I know that Jalen Rigor, TCU has Jalen Rigor with a 4-3-240. I have some stuff like that, isolated stuff, like this guy ran that, this guy ran that. But, you know, the athletic profiles by and large are, we, we just don't know them of these guys yet. So, you know, uh, th there's a whole bunch of stuff we don't know yet. And so there's 
just so much projection involved. And yeah, you know, for, for, for this thing, like what we're trying to do with this exercise, it's what you're saying, you know, both of like, you get an idea of, of how, you know, we sort of see it right now, you know, in, in terms of how they're ranked, but also for me, a big part of it is passing along information, you know? And so I just tried to fill that thing with as much information as I possibly could. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's not, I mean, you really can't tell anything about this season. I mean, I had, Caleb Wilson as my tight end one for a little while, <laughs> and he was yeah. extra irrelevant. Well, no, and you know, well, I, I'm just gonna, you know, in Dylan's defense here, if if Caleb Wilson had continued to add weight, if he'd improved as a blocker, if if Chip Kelly's offense hadn't been a joke this past season, and if Caleb Wilson had stayed healthy the whole time, like th there was avenues for him to level up, right? Or like you know, you go the other way with a different T.J. Hawkinson heading into last season. TJ Hawkinson was essentially a slightly better version of Foster Moreau, you know, in, in terms of being an athletic blocking ace that was not used in the passing game. Well, then we get his last season. All of a sudden, he's, you know, he's their number one. He's Iowa's number one option. It's no longer Noah Fant. TJ Hawkinson from week one had usurped him as the team's number one receiving option, and he absolutely dominated. He was the best receiving tight end in college football last year, in addition to being the best blocking tight end in college football that, that I have seen, that I have evaluated. And so, you know, obviously that changed his, you know, where he was going to go on the draft, his value range quite a bit, you know, getting that last season of data. So, it, yeah, it's it's real hard at this time to peg it. You do your best, you know, and you put it out there. But, yeah, when people on Twitter are – they they're focusing on the you know what order you put the teams in. It's like guys, get out of here. You're missing the point. Dylan's just happy that you compared uh, Hawkinson to be a better Foster Moreau because he's a big LSU fan. Say uh. <laughs> <laughs> Levante Roulette, go ti go Tigers, <laughs> go go Tigers. <laughs> oh, go Tigers. Yeah, don't go go Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you do the rest of the pod in your Orgeron accent? Yours is way better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from I'm from Baton Rouge, so it should be a little bit better. All right, now we gotta we gotta talk to you about uh. Okay, sorry, yeah, Please I feel like people not. probably won't be able to understand me. <laughs> Go dog. Go dog. <laughs> uh, Bolson, you want to go ahead and ask ask one of the next ones? I was actually just going to bring up real quick that I really liked the Raiders draft that we had that uh, Thor put in the 2020 because Dylan Moses is an amazing linebacker, and I can't wait to see him this year. So I just wanted to throw that out there a while ago when we were talking about Tua. But um, Thor, who are some guys that you have going later in the mock or just missed the cut that you think have a pretty good chance at shooting up the board this uh, this coming season? Okay, yeah, a couple. Uh, one guy that I like that got into – well, okay, I'll give you two that got into the the very end of the mock that I like a lot that I could see going even higher than where I have them, even though most guys in the industry did not list these guys in the first round. Number one, Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina, interior defensive lineman. The dude is super, super active. And, and just in terms of like his sort of surface-level profile, it reminds me a bit of Jerry Tillery heading into last season where he was super-duper under the radar just because we had – hadn't seen him a lot in the position that he needed to be playing at the next level. Jerry Tillery was sort of miscast as a, as a nose tackle earlier in his career, finally got to move to three tech and, and just sort of blew up. Uh, Kinlaw's a guy who was at Juco, you know, I mean, like, you know, earlier on in his career, finally got to South Carolina last year. He struggled with injuries all year. And despite that, put up dominant per snap, 
you know, rate type stats. Um, some of those did not show like, you know, he had five sacks total on the season, but he had an 88.7 PFF pass rushing grade, which is just south of elite. You know, my, it, uh, the totem for people 90 is, a, you know, what I consider to be an elite grade from PFF. So he was a borderline dominant interior lineman, uh, you know, penetrator, pass rusher. And in the NFL, of course, that's gold. He's also, you know, six, six, he's, he's enormous. You know, I, th- I think he's, you know, listed at six, six, three, ten or so. Um, and he's, he's going to, he's going to keep getting bigger. He's athletic. Um, this year he's going to be healthy. Last year he had a torn lip, uh, sorry, a torn hip labrum. That's for some reason, really difficult to say, but he was, he was struggling with that from spring practice all the way through, all the way through the season. You know, like it caused him to miss spring practice. Uh, he was compromised for most of the season. And then he had to sit out the Belk Bowl, you know, when they went to their bowl game, he had to sit it out with the exact same injury. That's how bad it was. And then he had to undergo surgery. So he played through that and was was awesome, awesome, awesome. I expect a big leap out of Kinlaw. Um, so I, you know, I, I think he's a first round talent. Um, an, another guy that I had one pick behind him in my mock, Curtis Weaver from Boise State, very, very active edge rusher in in the uh, in in the group of five. He's he plays, you know, for Boise State in the Mountain West. But his situation is kind of like AJ Epinesa you know, who we mentioned before, who I go in number two, in that Epinesa has never started a college game before. Epinesa's put up better stats, you know, as, as a reserve, playing 45% of, of the snaps his, his first two seasons in college than Nick Bosa did over his entire career. Um, and, like, you know, some other – like, uh, for instance, uh, Epinesa as a reserve in two seasons had, I think, three and a half more sacks than J.J. Watt had in two, year, two years as a full-time starter for Wisconsin, you know, when 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 Watt transferred over to Wisconsin. Um, and, and Weaver is very similar where, you know, Iowa had two guys that went to the NFL at defensive end. Anthony Nelson was a fourth-round pick of the Bucks, and then Parker Hesse was a priority free agent, I believe, of the Chiefs. And so Epinesa basically had to play behind those guys where they would have Hesse uh, sort of set the edge, you know, against the run on early downs or whatever. And then Epinesa would come in, you know, as a situational pass rusher. And then he'd also give Nelson breathers every now and again. Weaver's a very similar case where he's been playing behind some veterans. I think he gets unleashed this year. Um, his, you know, again, he's another one of those guys. His per snap stats have been insane from the very start. And so I think, you know, getting getting him more snaps, we're really going to see if he is that, you know, that type first round type prospect that I think he might be. So he he's another guy. One guy that I was sort of heartbroken not to be able to get in to my mock was Paulson Adebo from Stanford. He's a cornerback that I really like. Um, he was a guy that I sort of wanted to plant my flag on, and I just could not quite get him in there. It was basically at the end of the day, it was going to be between him and Jake Fromm. And I felt like I just basically had to play the odds with that one, you know, and uh, because most, most think that Jake Fromm is a first round talent. I'm on the fence about that right now, but uh, I felt like I had to sneak him in there at the very end, but Adebo would be another guy uh, to, to keep your eye on. And, you know, just to, you know, out the door here, uh, a note about, uh, you know, Dylan Moses, you brought up Dylan Moses. He's another interesting guy because his, uh, range of outcomes is so vast right now. You know, he's he's a kid with a ton of talent, a ton of athletic ability. So far in college, he's been really, really good against the run. And we haven't seen it as much with the other stuff. Last year he he really got picked on in coverage. And so we but he's got the athletic tools to do it as well as as rush the passer. But they just didn't use him as much, uh, you know, rushing the passer as well. We'll see if they unleash him a little bit more um this season because you know Alabama's gonna have to manufacture more. Obviously, Quinton's gone, uh uh Christian Miller's gone. Uh, you know, I mean, like they they lost a lot, you know, in their 
in their front seven or whatever. So we might see some more of that as well. But he's a guy who could go higher than than I have him going. He's also a guy that may end up getting pushed out of the first round if he doesn't progress in you know in those those type areas. So those are a couple guys I toss out. Those uh those Alabama linebackers are going to be sweet this year, especially with Anthony Jennings, Terrell Lewis if he's healthy, and Dylan Moses. That's well, yeah, and I pissed. I, I just have to say, I'm still pissed at Mac Wilson for leaving. It didn't make any sense at the time. It makes even less sense now that he fell down to round five. You you talk about one of the nastiest linebacking cores that we would have seen in the last decade. And and what I don't get is why did Mac leave and Raquan Davis came back? Right, like Raquan, I th- you know, and and wh- what I understood about Raquan's decision is he probably was looking at the board and was like, man, there's a lot of you know defensive linemen, front seven guys. This this class is stacked. I'll just, uh, you know, I'll go back. Quinnen's leaving. You know, maybe they'll let me play. You know, maybe they'll unleash me a little bit more. You know, whatever. Let me let me rush the passer more. Um, so I, I I guess in terms of that, but you know, Raekwon was was such an easier projection to the NFL. I don't know if he would have ended up going in the first round, but if not, he wouldn't have lasted on the board too long in round two. He comes back, and then Mac, who he had some obvious holes in his game. You know, just easy things that he could have worked on next year. Um, just like stupid things, honestly, like, like things like, um, you know, when he's coming downhill against the run, uh, uh, a propensity to try to sort of like sidestep the lead blocker, um, you know, it's sort of like in, uh, in basketball, you know, where they tell you like, don't step around the, the pick, try to step right through it. You know, and and Mac had this sort of like frustrating tendency to try to step around the blocker to make the tackle, which just extended the hole, you know, and, and, and left them susceptible to getting gashed a couple times. Now that's, I mean, Nick Saban, that's the guy you want to be around to fix something like that. All right, Mac, you know, let's, we're, we're going to work on this or whatever, but Mac elected to leave. It was a mistake. Um, but you know, it is what it is. I really don't I just get it. Like, and like Mac Wilson, like I, I get it. I'm an, L, I'm an LSU boy, but like him even being like out, he was definitely outshadowed in the SEC, but overshadowed last season by Devin White. And he could have taken the SEC spotlight this season. He really, he should have, he should have stayed. He really should have. Oh, he absolutely should have. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and where it reminds me of, of, of Dylan Moses right now is that Dylan Moses is very, it's not the same thing. It's, it's not the same deficiencies, you know, that he has to shore up. Dylan's got different ones, right? But now he's got a shot to work on those things. It, you know, coverage is the big one, right? Like, because if, you know, the, the pass rushing thing, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if that is just a, a scheme thing and a situational thing. That's what I tend to believe because Dylan's got, he's, he's got the athletic ability to do it. The coverage thing is where I need to see him take a step forward this year. If I'm going to project or think about him, you know, as, as, as a first round pick or whatever, he's got to do one or the other, you know, you, you can't just be a run first guy. If, if you are that you, you're like, um, the guy the Vikes took in the fifth round from USC, uh, uh, Cam uh, Cam Smith or whatever. You know he's he, he's a guy who you know who had a lot of athletic ability. He was a Ballyhood prospect. You know, went to USC, had a productive career. But Cam was really good against the run. But in the other areas, he progressed a bit against you know in, in coverage or whatever. He never took a step forward as a pass rusher. And in coverage, you could sort of project him to be decent but not good. And so guys like that, you know, they're really good against the run. They're they're reliable, etc. But in those two other facets, there's there's deficiencies. Those guys are going to get washed down the board because this is becoming obviously more of a you know a passing 
league or whatever. So you got to be able to do one or the other, if not both. So hopefully, uh, you know, Dylan Moses can come back this year. Um, and whether Alabama unleashes him more, you know, on more blitzes and stuff like that, or whether he becomes, you know, better in coverage. Either way, we got to see one. Speaking a little bit on SEC guys uh, leaving and coming back, I just want to see if if I'm crazy or if you think uh, if maybe see if you think I'm crazy in that I think Rashard Lawrence is going to have an outstanding season this year. I don't know what it is. I feel it. He he's really good. Whenever he's good, he's good. But he just can't stay at. He's never like he's very inconsistent. So I, I yeah. know, I'm just getting a feeling following him. I think he's going to have a great season. And I know it's a stacked edge class again, but I mean, come on. Yeah, he's he's an interesting player. You know, he he's a guy who's been on the radar now. Uh, as You know, uh, LSU fans would obviously know this for a long time. Um, and he's also a guy that I've been waiting to sort of take the leap forward. I, I think heading into 2017 was the first time where, where I sort of had the thought like, you know, this is this going to be Richard Lawrence's national coming out party, you know, under Aranda and stuff like that. And obviously it didn't happen. Last year, he took a took a step forward. He's got the talent to make a leap. Um, will he do it or not? I'm not sure. You know, I mean, like some of these guys just are sort of tweeners. You know, Rashard Lawrence has, he's got sort of the, the frame of a three tech, but we haven't seen him be disruptive to that degree you know i mean he you know they they'll play him you know uh, a lot of nose you know move him around stuff like that is it is it the role thing um you know and we're, when we're projecting him to the next level we we need to know what role he's going to excel in in the nfl so hopefully aranda can figure it out this year you know how to truly weaponize lawrence but i was you know listen i i, I was very um encouraged by the step forward he did take last year he, had, he he finished in the double digits and tackles for loss for the first time you know he got over 50 tackles so he's been becoming more active you know he he also batted down some passes so we we need to keep you know seeing that um i'd love to see him get after the quarterback more his sacks jumped to four last year um so we'll see but yeah he's he's one of those guys absolutely you know you're looking at the defensive lineman in this class you have to keep your eye on richard lawrence for sure so speaking of uh like the defensive line talent are there any any you can say i just want you to speak about this defensive end edge kind of class and say like what is there anything anyone that jumps out like especially amazing to you? AJ Vanessa. Yeah, it would. <laughs> you stole the words right out of my mouth. It would definitely be Epinesa. Epinesa can do so many different things. Um, you know, uh, in in terms of uh, converting speed to power at a young age, he's one of the best that I've seen. You know, I've I've only been doing this for five years, but he's got a preternatural ability for it. He's just one of those kids who just happens to be country strong. You know, he he was a guy who was like Jolton seniors back as a freshman, as a true freshman at Iowa. Obviously, you know, he's a five star recruit. Iowa doesn't get many of them. He's the uh, the highest. Uh, rate of recruit to sign and then play for Iowa. I, I had uh, in my column, I put he was the highest rate of recruit to ever sign with Kirk Ferentz. And one of my my pedantic uh, buddies from grad school at, at Iowa, you know, I, I went to a writing program at Iowa. And one of my, my buddies who went to Iowa and, and now is an editor in, in Brooklyn is a, is a fact editor. He texted me and he said, technically, that's not true. Uh, they, they, they signed a, a linebacker, I think, or a defensive lineman, something like that, like 10, 15 years ago that was rated slightly ahead of Epinesa. But this guy 
left Iowa before his freshman season even started, transferred to Purdue, and is now serving a 45-year prison sentence. Uh, so anyway, we're, we're gonna say we're we're gonna say that Epides is the highest-rated you know recruit to ever sign with Iowa. But anyway, convert speed to power, tremendous. Can bend the edge. Um, you know he he can win with twitch. He can win with athleticism. He can win with power. Um, gets after the quarterback like nobody's business. The guy's relentless. Um, you know you you sort of compare his relentlessness to a guy like Ryan Kerrigan, but he's more physically skilled and more physically dominant than than, than a Ryan Kerrigan type. What we need to see with Epinesa, uh, you know, this coming season season is for him to be as effective as he was in limited snaps over you know 80 plus percent of the snaps you know going from 45 or so you know up there now Nelson's gone Hesse's gone so Epines is going to to step into the spotlight so that's what we need to see more from him but I'm I'm very bullish we we haven't seen him a lot against the run so that would be the only part of his profile that is a slight question at this point but this is not a Brian Burns situation he is not going to get you know bulldozed you know or bullied in in the run game or whatever Epines is the guy that bullies so I you know in terms of projection there that's why it was so easy easy for me to put him at the very top there because I already know he's just a dominant, dominant, dominant pass rusher. And I think he's going to get there against the run um, as well. Chase Young, obviously you have to bring that name up too. Chase Young is the guy that everybody else pretty much has. Um, you know, I was looking around everybody else's mocks. Mo- Except, except you guys. I mean, the, the, there's definitely a couple of exceptions, but Chase Young, you know, predominantly around the industry is considered the edge one right now. Um, Epines has been, I, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Epines has been better uh, to this point, um, you know, more productive, stuff like that per snap, whatnot. And he's played around less talent. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know what else to say about that. Um, I, I think, you know, if, if you're projecting him into this season and you're just looking at uh, the empirical data that we have on both, um, in my opinion, you know, again, we there's a lot of data still to come in, but for me, uh, Epines at this point is objectively the the better prospect. It's 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 not by a lot, but um, you know, the data that I'm looking at, that's that that's what it leads me to believe there. And then just a couple other guys, um, you know, mostly in the the Big Ten. I mean, this is a you know, I mean, you know, last year was obviously a dominant edge class. Um, you know, this, this edge class is very, very good as well, mostly because of the, the Big Ten. The two guys we just mentioned are from the Big Ten. I think the guy who is edge three right now, he's also from the Big Ten. Yatur Gross Matos from Penn State. Um, and then the guy um, that I had as the fourth edge off my board um, in this 2020 mock, Kenny Willicks from Michigan State, another edge guy. There's more questions with Willicks, even though he was just as productive or more productive than the other three guys um, just because his game is more um, limited, I suppose, in in terms of like like as a pass rusher, he's sort of a, I, I call him like a two note guy. Um, he can win with his hands and he can win with quicks, but if you, if you stymie him there, um, he can't do much else. You know, he, he's a high effort guy. He does well against the run. Um, but he's a guy that we need to see develop more pass rushing moves, you know, because if it's just those things and then it turns out his athletic profile is limited, um, he's going to fall down the board, you know? So he's another guy that has sort of a, a bigger band. And then the other guy I'd toss out in this discussion would, would be just a callback to what I was talking about before Curtis Weaver is a guy I'm very high on. I am super excited to watch Curtis Weaver play football. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see because he, I mean, who else does Boise have? He's going to be getting double teamed pretty much the entire time. But I mean, the, the competition he's facing, I don't think is going to be that steep. Um, so I think, I, I, I really think uh, Curtis Weaver is going to pop off this season. I know me and Bolson were talking about it, uh, like, uh, I think it was like last episode. We 
I don't know. Maybe we're just crazy. Like we we <coughs> haven't fell, fallen in love with uh, with Chase Young yet. Um, like I get that he's obviously a top talent, but I mean we're not we haven't bought into the hype. I guess. I mean maybe maybe Bol- maybe I misunderstood Bolson. No, uh, I I I mean I think he's edge two. I just am very firm in my belief that edge one is AJ Epinesa, and I think it'll stay that way. And uh, Thor, you keep bringing up the per snap stats, and it seems like we've got three first round guys that are really productive per snap, but it's just waiting to see them take that that next step, just play time wise. We have Epinesa out of Iowa, of course. Um, you have Kinlaw out of South Carolina and Weaver out of Boise State are all players that you said are dominant per snap, but it's just a matter of now they have to get the playing time and be consistent with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, and, um, you know, this is what makes my job kind of interesting, you know, and everyone that does that, that's why we love this so much, you know, because you have to, you have to project it and, and, you know, football is a team game, you know, uh, my, uh, one of the guys I work with, my buddy Chris Crawford at Roto World, his first job, the reason we brought him to Roto World is he does baseball prospects. And so he is predominantly on baseball at Roto World, but I, I get to work with him um, just a little bit. You know, we, we get him a little bit on, on the college football and NFL draft section. And I was talking to Crawford about, you know, his job against, you know, sort of evaluating uh, football guys. And he said baseball is a lot easier. Which that surprised me because there's so many more uh, baseball players and it's like, you know, you're throwing this little sphere and then you got to hit it with this, you know, sort of round bat. And it just like, I don't, I wouldn't know the first thing about, you know, when someone throws a pitch in baseball, I can't tell from the stands if it's a fastball or if it's a changeup. I, I have no idea. Um, but, you know, Crawford is telling me that it's, it's a lot easier because you got the, uh, you know, the, the, the data is really easy to parse there because it's basically a one-on-one sport that's masquerading as, as a team sport, number one. And then number two, you know what you're looking for mechanically, you know, like the, the window or the band of like acceptable mechanics and whatnot. It's so small. There's only so many ways that you can throw a baseball. Right. Um, and so they, they sort of know which guys are in jeopardy of undergoing Tommy John later in their career. You know, maybe it's a guy who's like, you know, excels with velocity as a teenager, but the way he throws, it's like all limbs. And so they know he's going to like, you know, blow out his shoulder at some point, like whatnot. It's, it's, it's just easier. But with, with football, it's, it's more difficult because you have to do some of these projections. So like you're talking about these per snap guys, like, you know, I, I dig really deep, you know, not only into the conventional stat, everyone's got the conventional stats, whatnot. I also dig into all the pro football focus stats, you know, both in terms of the grades, but also their advanced stats, you know, things like, uh, for instance, one thing I think people missed about Jerry Tillery, one, one reason that he went, um, way under the radar in this this past draft and why I think he got underdrafted probably by about 15 slots is is two reasons. Um, number one is when they looked at his stats, I don't think they realized how dominant of a season that Tillery had because you know his surface level stats like sacks was was his 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 total was was fairly modest. Even like the the hurries or you know whatever is like on the traditional stat line was was a bit more modest than you would you know sort of expect of a, a first round defensive lineman. But when you started dig, digging into the PFF stats, um, it it really opened your eyes. Where Tillery led the nation in um, it, it was a, it was a PFF stat basically of times that he won a pass 
a, a pass down rep, but did not get counted with a stat. So basically, he was consistently beating his guys, but because of happenstance, game flow, you know, maybe maybe he was beating his guys on rollouts, you know, whatever. He just wasn't. Um, close enough that where he would get you know a hurry or whatever or 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 a sack um but in terms of of the pff um pass rush grade of interior lineman last year Jer- jerry tillery tied quinn and williams for number one in all of the nation even though if you just look at their stats you never would have thought that um and so you know that's that's heading into the draft when we have all the information what what i'm trying to do with this early stuff is is take all that information you know um you know sort of bake that in and then just sort of project for from there and I, I sort of in my mind have to ballpark um athletic profiles of these guys which is difficult you know you try to look for um you know 40 times or, or vertical jumps maybe these guys went to uh, like the opening you know in Oregon you know one of those years you know may, maybe we have some stuff like that maybe we have you know high school combine or high school track stuff whatnot some of the guys don't have anything right um and so you know you watch some like for instance CJ Henderson uh, a Florida cornerback if you watch CJ Henderson like if you watch him like try to track a running back down from behind um, he's got the kind of, it's like Jerry Judy speed where you're just like, Oh my Lord. Like, it looks like there's like, you know, ripples coming off him. Like the air is being disturbed as he's running kind of a thing. So, you know, you have to, you have to ballpark project that kind of stuff, but yeah, you know, you, you try to grab as much info as you can. CJ Henderson. I've yeah. loved watching him more this year. Oh man. That's Bolson is, uh, is in love with CJ Henderson. He won't shut up about him. Rightfully so. He's not, he's not my, uh, he's not my cornerback one. My cornerback one is uh, Jalen Johnson. Oh, Jalen Johnson, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I just completely blanked on his name. Yeah, Johnson's Johnson's interesting. I I was able to get him into the first round of my mock. I was happy about that. Um, and I think he's a guy too that could pop off this year. You know, obviously he's one of the pack. Pac-12's better cover corners and we're going to get to see him in some spotlight games you know what what I wrote about in in my write-up of him was last year when Utah played Colorado you know it's sort of like this this heavyweight matchup between him and Chenault well Chenault was coming off an injury you know Chenault got injured early in the year because they you know, Colorado just gives the ball to Chenault on every play and is like, Chenault, you be our offense. And last year, you know, it was his first year, obviously, with, with that kind of usage. And so he got banged up really early, which wasn't a surprise. And I don't think is any indictment on him, you know, with the amount of touches that, that, that he was, you know, dealing with or whatever. But he missed some time in the middle of the season. And then he came back. He was compromised. And by when, when Chenault got hurt, that whole team uh, went into the gutter. I, I think they started 5-0, and and they were ranked, if I'm remembering right. And then Chenault gets banged up, misses some games, and then Colorado just started losing, 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 losing. And then, you know, the, the, the coaching staff, which knew if we don't turn this around, if we don't make a bowl game and win it we're probably out i think they were probably like lavisca you ready you ready can you can you come back this week you know whatever and so he came back he was not fully healthy um in that utah game it was sort of a compromise Chanel. he ended up having uh nine catches but it was only for like 63 yards you know all they could get going against utah were those you know throws out to the perimeter basically to chenault and he couldn't do anything with them but this year they play again um, and, and I've already circled it on my calendar. I can't wait. The, the game's in November. Um, hopefully, Chanel is 100% healthy uh, because that is going to be very fun. Johnson lining up you know, across from Chanel. That Colorado, Colorado offense is going to be better. Montez is back. Obviously, we have a new staff there. Um, and that staff knows they got to get the ball to LaVisca Chanel. So that's going to be very interesting. But yeah, I, 
I like that call a lot. You know, I mean, there's there's five, six cornerbacks in this class that I think right now you could talk about as candidates for that. You know, I mean, like CJ Henderson was the first guy off the board in mine, but I had a bunch of guys go off the board right after that because to me, those guys are kind of grouped. You know, I had Bryce Hall going right after him. I had Christian Fulton going right right after them. Tr- uh, Trevon Diggs from Alabama, who's way more projection than these guys. I mean, that, that one is... 80% projection on Diggs, whereas the other guys are a lot of what they, they showed so far, but he could, you know, make that leap this year. Jalen Johnson's a better player than Trevon Diggs right now, right? So, you know, I mean, that that was some athletic proje- projection going on there. We'll also see how Jalen comes out and tests, you know, in, in the pre-draft process next year. But yeah, a, a lot to get excited about there. He killed it last year. Jalen did really, really jumped up, you know, onto the national, um, you know, scene. All right, well, I think uh, think that does it for the questions. Well, we have well, we have one more question for you. It's not super football based, but it's just something we want to we want to get uh, get all of our guests talking about. Is uh, if you if you had to design a pair of cleats for uh, my cleats, my claw, my cause, uh, what would your cause be? I think I think it would probably be insulin affordability. I think it would be um, for the American Diabetes Association. My uh, both of my siblings have type one diabetes, and my my sister is actually a, a national advocate. She she goes around and, and she's a professional speaker, and she that's awesome. You know, she goes, yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, she she goes around and um, you know talks to lawmakers and um, you know goes to camps and talks to kids and like all this kind of stuff. And the insulin issue with this country is absolutely absurd. You know, I don't know how much you guys know about this, but basically the drug companies, they realize the leverage they got against all, all the diabetics we have in this country, you know, that they're basically, they got a gun to them because these people, for these people, insulin is like oxygen for folks like you and me. And so, you know, what if someone just came onto earth and said, well, I own oxygen now. And guess what? You guys all got to pay me half of your paycheck every, you know, every month so you can breathe. That is essentially what's going on in this country right now. It's an absolute joke. It's a crime being committed right in front of everybody. Um, if I could shine more of a spotlight on that, I think that's what it would be. I actually have a, I have a couple of things to say about that. Because first of all, I remember you actually sharing a video of your sister. I forgot who the politician was, but she had asked. Peter O'Rourke. Yep. Good memory. Yeah, I remember you yeah. sharing that. And uh, yeah, that was there was like multiple videos of it because it was like lengthy. And um, it's funny. Or, it's not funny. As That was poor choice. But um, the whole reason this question came about is because of another podcast called Talking Football. Uh, one of the hosts, Justin Treese, his wife had asked him this question and he chose diabetes also because his wife is a type one diabetic and yeah and he was saying that it runs it runs in my family very uh very heavily yeah so this whole the whole purpose of this question was because of basically it was because of a type one diabetic asking this to her husband and he brought it on the podcast and once I listened to it, I texted him and I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to use this for every guest that we have. Like, I, w- I want this answer because it's a good answer and it's, or it's a good question and it's always good to get a little bit more awareness out there. So yeah, it really is. We all have these great yeah. audiences and I mean, we always talk about football, but football is not the most important thing in this world. So it's, it's always, it's always good to have someone talk about something they're, they're passionate about. Well, yeah. Well, and here's the thing. Football is tremendous, but you can't fucking watch it if you're dead. So, you know, drug companies, <laughs> like, let's let's go back to the price that we used to have on insulin in the 80s, please. Can we? So I can fucking live with my siblings the next 30 years, please. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a. I'm really happy you said that, actually. So, yeah, that's a. That's a you guys, you guys said I could swear. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, you, I, I, I get I fired up know, about that. Yeah, no, feel free to say yeah, <laughs> no, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm good. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so that does it for the questions we have. Uh, every episode we have, we do do a mailbag. So we do have a couple more things to ask you about. Um, and pretty much every one of these was targeted at you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sure. rightfully Go so. ahead. Um, Fire away. So, all right. So, one coming in from one of our very own whole nine sports people. Uh, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Oh, man. Uh, I, it's, it's, I guess it's got to be the chicken, right? Is your reasoning because you um, believe in creationism, so God would have had to create the chicken? Because that, that was my reasoning when I heard it. I was just like... If you believe in creationism, it has to be because <laughs> God created the animals. He didn't create the eggs. Like, yeah, I mean, it would just be like it's 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 the second start of a you know it's like the second part of a process. You know, like the chicken has to be has to come first to make the egg. You can't do like it's got to right, just pop up at one point. I feel like make any right. Sense. Why? Yeah, how does uh, yeah it, it doesn't make any sense. That comes from uh, Justin uh, Justin Rochat. I don't know if I if I said that. <laughs> But uh, we got another yeah, one from right. uh, Mike. Okay, good. Uh, so I think, yeah, you, get, you gave the right answer. So this one coming from uh, Mike Spencer, KKS, on Twitter. Uh, so you're Thor, obviously. So who would uh, drafts, draft Twitter's Loki be? Oh, man. Uh, I would say Greg Cosell. <laughs> <laughs> Greg Cosell, who uh, Mr. Cosell, he blocked me like uh, five months ago. Um, he, and, and the reason he blocked me, uh, was, I, I wasn't even being mean. I, I just, uh, in fact, I, well, I was sort of tongue in cheek defending, defending his take of the, uh, Antonio Brown wasn't worth the, the fifth round pick because of the, you know, the, the, Yikes. he had, he had that. He had that take about, you know, scout. The reason Antonio Brown fell was because scouts had, you know, issues about his personality. And, you know, Cosell was, you know, when, uh, when, when Brown was having issues with the, the, the Steelers and trying to force the trade, Cosell tried to jump out, you know, do a solid for his scouting buddies and be like, see, we told you so. And, you know, whatever. And so, you know, I sort of made a little joke about that. And the guy blocked me. And it's like, bro, it's your take. I, I, I didn't. I didn't say anything mean about it. I, I suppose I was tongue in cheek about it, but like, yeah. So if there was a, if there was a, if there was some sort of like other side of the polarity to, to me for right or wrong, I think it would be Greg Cosa. I'm going to tag him in this I mean, tomorrow. I think. Please, please do. <laughs> tell, 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 tell that guy if he wants, listen, if you want to be on Twitter to disseminate your opinion, and then you're going to start to block people for having one of theirs if it's respectful. Get off Twitter. Get off Twitter. Get, you know, because it becomes a situation where it's like, get off my lawn. You know, it's like this, you know, a Clint Eastwood in like Grand Torino or something like that. Like, I just don't think a guy like Greg Cosell really understands how to how to run a Twitter feed, to be honest. If, you, if, if you're just going to block yeah, people like, mercilessly like that it's just not the way that the the medium is supposed to work it's for discussion not for you know to ever everybody take my opinion if if you don't you know then you know I'm, I'm i'm gonna block you out i'm gonna put a scarlet letter on you it's just not the way that i see social media but good luck though it's like the simpsons old man yells i mean cloud. my answer to this question my answer to this question would have literally the only thing else i could think of would be uh anyone in twitter mentions being <laughs> i i feel like 
I don't know. They just all seem so hostile. <laughs> no, oh, uh, yeah. Seems to be nice anymore. Yeah, but those guys, like, they're just, you know, they're just, they're just, dude, they're just fans. You know, they're just, they don't, they don't know the players. They're just, they want to get upset because they feel like their team's been disrespected or whatever. But like, you know, if there's a guy in the movie who's getting dialogue, it's got to be, you know, we got to have like a a, a co-seller someone as Loki. I feel like. Yeah, that's a that's a very good answer. I was trying to think of like an actual personality, but uh, I think Greg Cassell is a is a uh, is a great answer. Yeah, I was trying to think of like, yeah. him as Loki now. I was trying to think of it as like, <laughs> oh, who does everybody hate? But it's like, yeah, if I'm being smart about it, I'm thinking the opposite of you. So yeah, it's Greg Cassell, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, listen, just facilitate conversation, man. You know, like, is here's my question. Is this what you do in real life? You know, does he like walk to the, say the bank, you know, and he's like asking him a question. He doesn't like their response. And he's like, all right, fuck you. You don't get to talk anymore. And it's like, all of a sudden they're muted. And he's like, bring somebody else. Let, you know, let, let me see if I get the answer I like. You know, like, does he just dictate terms in all of his interactions in life? Or is that just sort of specific for us or, you know, special for us, the folks that followed him on, on Twitter? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and so I guess we move on to like the, the last topic, but what I think is the most important one, um, who's your favorite team to play as in NCAA 14 dynasty mode? This is, this is a tremendous question. Um, shout out to my boy, Steve Jackson. Um, I, okay. So I've, I've got, I would say I have three different categories for this. I'll tell you what I don't like to do. I never play with one of the six star teams, right? Six stars is like the high goes it's so cool. you, you, you can't do it right like it, it just it kills the enjoyment so so i got i got categories you know i run i do a million different dynasties so i played with you know almost every team that is not a lead or whatever one thing i like to do of course is try to turn around kansas football so that's you know i i do that i try to do that every now and again if i'm doing a better team you know i'll try iowa if i if i go in the middle i'll do baylor or syracuse which are my my siblings two alma maters uh or minnesota is you know is another one another thing i like to do is take the worst teams in the nation to try to turn them around that used to be army like back in the day when i was in like grad school um i would try to turn around like a, a team like army or whatever right now because i play with updated rosters it's like idaho i think is like the worst you know they're a team that's now dropped down to the fcs so like you, you know you take a team like that that's just objectively horrible and you try to turn them into a, a contender within five years or whatever so i i like to do that too and then every now and again i'll just sort of take a team that has a a young dual threat quarterback that I could just sort of mold into my system and just run around and, you know, just do different stuff with. So I'll just sort of like, you know, depending on the the roster or whatever, I'll, I'll just sort of cherry pick one. Like back in the day, um, I think this was when I was in high school. Um, so this was, this was probably like NCA, like, you know, 2002 or something like that. Um, there was a guy on FAU. I remember there, the FAU third string quarterback. I still remember his name. He was this guy named, it was like McKinson Severane or Severone or something like that. Anyhow, he was the quarterback in the game with the highest speed by far. He was like a 95 speed. 
And, you know, he, I mean, like, he was like a 68 overall, but he was, you know, he was just like crazy fast for whatever reason in the game. And then the next, you know, highest quarterback was like 90. And so, anyhow, I would play with FAU. And the first year, I would just run around with him to try to develop like his other skills. And then he would start, you know, progressing, you know, or whatever, because he starts as a freshman. And by his junior and senior year, you know, I'm contending for the Heisman with this kid and whatnot, you know, and like FAU is back. Like, I, I was Lane Kiffin before there was Lane Kiffin with this guy. So I'd I'd say those those teams, you know. So what you're telling me is that you're better than Lane Kiffin. I love Lane Kiffin. Yeah. <laughs> I want I want to know. So you said you you mess with uh, Kansas a lot. Would you have hired less? Yeah. No, no, that was a terrible hire. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, less and I I know you know we have we have LSU company on on the line here on the I, call. So he, you can say whatever you you can say whatever yeah. you want about Les Miles. I won't get mad. Well, I think you're going to, I think you'll echo what my take is. And my take is basically Les Miles was an elite recruiter at schools that facilitated elite recruiting, right? You know, LSU being, being the last one or whatever. And Oklahoma State, I, I'll give less credit. He definitely raised the profile there specifically with, uh, recruiting. But the reason that Les got pushed out of the game, you know, at an appropriate age to get pushed out, by the way, I mean, he's an old man. Right. But the reason he got pushed out five years ago, it didn't have anything to do with recruiting. It had to do with schematics. He was way behind the times. He, you know, he was still running like a 1970s type offense or whatever. A guy like that, if, if you're going to hire Les Miles, you got to have a school that will facilitate your recruiting for you. And then basically Les can bump it up. So for instance, um, this is a lesser example of this, but I, th I think it still kind of works for the example. UNC hired Mac Brown, uh, you know, a similar guy who was awesome at recruiting, you know, throughout. Um, but he had some schematic issues, particularly there, particularly there at the end when the game started to change, and he did not change quick enough with it. Well, UNC is a team, it or a program, it facilitates recruiting better than Kansas. Now, certainly not an elite recruiting program, but we've seen in the past 20 years, UNC can attract uh, top end talent. I mean, you know, you go back to like, uh, you know, the Julius Pepper years and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. They've had their, um, you know, their, their time or whatever, Butch Davis, you know, et cetera. And so, you know, Mac goes there. Well, Mac has been able to bring in, I believe what is right now a top 10 class. Do, do I think UNC is going to end with the top 10? class in 2020 no but he they're probably going to finish with a top 20 class right but the issue with Kansas is nobody will ever bring a top 20 class to Lawrence in football it's not it, it will not happen it's impossible so it's that is not going to happen there is a barrier of entry there the only way to win at Kansas well it's one of two ways you can do the Mark Mangino route which is basically just like a, a sort of a money balling type thing, like a, a Belichickian money balling of the college football recruiting landscape. So what, what Mangino and his staff did, they basically, um, you know, identified under recruited guys because they did not fit molds, but they could, they could fit them into their system. So Todd Reesing would be a great example of this from back in the day. He was the quarterback that won the orange bowl at Kansas when I was a senior at, at Kansas, beat Virginia tech that, down in Miami or whatever in, in, in the bowl game, basically the last great moment of, or one of the very few great moments of, of Kansas football or whatever. But Todd Reesing, he was from Austin, Texas, and he went on to have a great career at Kansas, you know, won, won a BCS Bowl. Texas, I, I don't even know if Texas would have let Todd Reesing walk on. Why? Because he was 5'9 and a half, you know, and he was less than 200 pounds. But the kid was very accurate, you know, and, and, and very headsy, and, you know, he, he had guts and everything like that. Mangina wanted to run this wide open system with all these quick hitters. 
You don't need a guy with a bazooka. He does, Mangino didn't he first he knew he couldn't compete for the four and five stars or whatever. Um, and so you know let's just go the opposite way. Let's just find a guy that for this system, we just, you know, uh, short accuracy, intermediate accuracy. We're going to prioritize those skills over literally everything else. Throw throw everything else out. Find someone that fell through the cracks that is very good in those two phases. Um, you know, and so they get a guy like Reese and they also found Chris Harris. They also found Aqib Tlaib. They, um, Anthony Collins. They, they found a bunch of guys that went on to play in the NFL that had just sort of fallen through the cracks. That's one way. You, you find a coach that is just really good at identifying that and then also developing them, or you have to do what what was my idea this time around because finding a guy like Mangino, that's hard because it, it takes a guy who's really, really going to grind. Les Miles is not going to grind to that degree. He's not going to be looking through two-star recruits tapes. He's not going to, he's not going to watch a thousand different tapes of two-star recruits to identify what guy is best for his 1970s offense. He, he's not going to do that. Um, so the, the other route for this would be you zig when the other teams are zagging, right? And so, like, you know, when when Mangino was having success, the rest of the conference had not yet toggled over to spread football, right? And so so Mangino could sort of, um, you know, he could also moneyball it there. He was moneyballing it in terms of the prospects, but he's also moneyballing it in terms of of, of, of scheme, um, where, where a lot of those teams are still playing old-school offense, you know, like your, your Texases, et cetera. Um, but now all the teams have gone to the spread. You know, including Texas, obviously Oklahoma, obviously West Virginia, obviously Oklahoma State. I mean, Baylor, you know, you just go down the line. They're, they've all gone to the spread. You go the exact opposite direction and you hire a triple option coach, which we need in the Power Five anyway. Now that Paul Johnson's gone. Um, and you saw what a triple option offense can do to even an elite um, Big 12 school when Army played Oklahoma this past season. And they basically just said, all right, Oklahoma, you're you're probably going to score a touchdown on dang near every possession. We concede that. All right. Now what we're going to do is drain as much clock as possible. We're going to run every single time. We're going to go right at you and we're going to drag that, you know, the play, you know, the, 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 the clock down from 40 seconds to two every single time. And so we're, we're just going to shrink the game and, and we're going to play very efficient. We, we will just no, we're not going to fumble the ball. Right. And we're certainly not going to throw an interception because we're not throwing it. And so, you know, that's what they did. And obviously they almost knocked off um, Oklahoma. And I just thought it would have been so brilliant for Kansas to uh, veer in that direction schematically, um, because not only, you know, do you are, are you doing that on, on the one hand where you're playing a style that is going to give trouble to the style that every other school or, or dang near every other school in your, your conference plays, number one. But also, you're able to identify recruits specifically for that system, right? Like, so, you know, Army's going after these uh, shorter, stockier, uh, farm boy type guys. They're not athletes. They're not guys that are going to play tackle in the NFL. They had Toth a couple years. I mean, you know, every now and again, but predominantly, you're not going to have offensive linemen that play in the NFL. You just want guys that are going to bully people in the run game, are going to chop block people, you know, stuff like that. You want tough kids, you know, that you're prioritizing over athleticism, run blockers, right? And then, you know, with quarterbacks, you'll basically have your pick of op the best option quarterback in the nation that year. I mean, like, you know, Eric Crouch back in the day going to Nebraska. Well, what if Nebraska? hadn't played option football, right? Like it pro he probably would have ended up go going to the school that was the best option running school, you know, and at this point, you know, Georgia Tech has been able to pick those guys off in recent classes. Well, at this point, there's no longer a power five school running the triple option. I, I just thought it was such a great um, opportunity 
um, for 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 a Power Five uh, school to plant their flag with that. Um, and and I thought that would have allowed Kansas to sort of take a step forward. They wouldn't do that, and I I know why they wouldn't do that because uh, well, I'm not I'm not going to say why, but I, I know the the AD did not want to watch that style of football. Let's let's just say that I I have that on on good authority. He was. He he under he understood the argument uh, for for bringing the option like he he totally got that um, but he did not feel that the I believe that the fans would um, um, you know that that would be palpable um, now my counter argument to Jeff Long is uh, you you want to know what's more palpable than, than 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 watching option football is is watching winning football right um, we tried. <laughs> The last guy was an air raid guy, David Beatty. What, you know, they Kansas has run an air raid now for five years. That was supposed to what be what what invig, invigorated the fan base or whatever. Winning two games a season, losing to Nichols State, losing to FCS teams. You know, getting embarrassed by the other bottom teams in the Big Twelve. Um, that is demoralizing to a fan base. You have to do anything possible, uh, you know, to change that. And so, what do you do? Well, you veer the other way. You do it like uh, George Costanza. You know, you do the opposite. Right. And so that's, you know, that, that, that would be the second route. Les Miles fits neither of those. His special sauce of recruiting, um, he cannot do that here. It, it is going to get knocked way down. He's probably going to sign the best Kansas class in the last decade or two. It's not going to be above 40. Right. So, you know, let's, let's say, well, hell, let, let, let's give the guy credit. Let's say he brings in the 42nd best class in the nation next year, which for Kansas football would be absolutely fabulous. But now you brought in essentially what is the ninth, you know, probably be finished ninth or so, maybe eighth in, in, you know, in the conference. You know, maybe, maybe they finish ahead of Kansas State. Um, Iowa State's recruiting better. So they're, they're not going to finish ahead of them. But let's say they, you know, they, they're going to finish eight or nine. Well, now you're going up against, these teams that have you know this enormous talent advantage on you going forward, you also cannot beat them in scheme. You have to beat that. You know, it's like going back to the Dylan Moses thing. You, you have to do one or the other, right? And so Les will never be able to out-recruit Oklahoma ever, no matter what. Th- this thing could go on for a million years, and, and Kansas is not going to finish with a better uh, recruiting ranking than Texas or Oklahoma. So you got to beat them a different way. It's got to be guerrilla warfare. You want to go on the, the battlefield with them straight up, you're going to get gunned down just like you've been getting gunned down for the last decade now. So I thought it was a terrible hire. I think he's going to fail. Um, and I hope, honestly, as a Kansas fan, I hope he fails so spectacularly that the next AD does not have a choice but to take the drastic measures that are going to be required to bring Kansas football back. I do actually want to ask, uh, what do you think Kansas's record is this year? Let me uh, let me look up their schedule. Because they start off with Indiana State, then Coastal Carolina, and then it becomes Boston College, West Virginia, TCU, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and oh, at, at Boston College this year, that was a that was a bad scheduling job. All right, well they, yeah, the Indiana State and Coastal. Uh, I mean. Famous last words. I mean, they Kansas just lost to Nichols hosting them last year. Yeah, n- no game is safe, but I'm going to count those as two wins. Maybe I'm being a homer thinking that Kansas is better than Indiana State Sycamores, but uh, let's one. just At least theoretically one. because of the home field advantage. So we'll, we'll, we'll give them two there. They're not beating Boston College and A.J. Dillon on the road. Uh, West Virginia, 
hosting that that could be that could be a potential upset spot just because you know West Virginia's got the new staff obviously Will Greer's gone David Sills is gone uh Jennings is gone uh David Long on defense they West Virginia is losing a lot I like the the coach they brought in Neil Brown but the, you know they brought in a grad transfer quarterback they brought in a lot of new guys installing new schemes that, and that's early in the season that's always where you're looking you know for these new programs and new coaches potential upsets so uh, I'll say maybe on that one they're losing up to TCU on the road especially after after Kansas upset TCU last year, they're going to get annihilated in that game. TCU is going to be ready. They're going to get annihilated by Oklahoma, Texas. Maybe Texas Tech is another potential upset spot. That's another hosting thing. Kansas State it would be another potential one. They're going to lose to Oklahoma State. Going to lose on the road at Iowa State, uh, most likely. And then you got Baylor at the end. I'll say, uh, I'm going to say, th- I'm going to say between three and four. I, I think the over under for me would probably be well it, it's probably gonna be three or three and a half but we'll just say three and a half to be optimistic okay and then uh i have one more kansas question sure please yeah let's let, let's talk about kansas football i mean i mean there's nothing more interesting <laughs> to me there's not <laughs> i know i do i love kansas i follow them every year i love well I'm a uh, I'm a big Will Greer fan because you know Florida. He was there, then he transferred to West Virginia, and I like to watch as much of QBs as I possibly can. And Puka Williams, the running back for Kansas, really because I'll watch the whole game. Don't, I don't, don't call him Poo Poo Puka. Put some respect on the name. I'll uh, if you I'll, um, I'll watch the full game. I don't watch like the cutups <laughs> usually. I watch the entire game so I could see other people. So. Yeah, Puka really, uh, he stood out to me a lot. So what are your thoughts on him? Hello? Did he drop? I think so. Then, yeah. hey, hey, guys, our, our, our audio <laughs> cut out halfway through, so we're just going to ask him to tell us about Puka Wilson from Kansas again. <laughs> All right. Puka Williams, man, you, you guys just can't. Puka Williams. Yeah, you guys, (laughs) you guys just need to respect Puka because he's he's really good. He's he. uh, I mean, he's one of the very few NFL caliber players on Kansas. He's really the only source of excitement on that team going forward. Puka Williams is an absolute stud. He's one of the best running backs. I think in the nation, you know, we're not going to be talking about him as an NFL guy this year, uh, but certainly next year at this, you know, he's a true junior or sorry, he's, he's heading into his true sophomore season. So he's not eligible for the draft after uh, this season, but he's an electric talent. You know I mean? He's, I, I believe he was a four-star coming in. He could have gone to a bunch of different places. Kansas has inroads down there, down South, you know, in Louisiana, you know? Um, so they, they plucked out a couple uh, sort of top end prospects because of their running back coach, a guy named Tony Hall. That's, that's from down there. He used to be a high school coach in the, the New Orleans area. So yeah, bringing Puka, basically he's, you know, he's the only source of excitement right now. Ran for 1,125 yards last year, seven yards per carry on a team that couldn't throw and had no offensive line. He also had 32 catches. So, I mean, he's going to be a guy going forward that they're going to give him as many touches as he can possibly handle. The one thing to, to keep an eye on there, which is most unfortunate, is that Puka is being uh, you know, I, I haven't seen an update on this, but this was this was something that came out a few months ago that he was being investigated um, for an assault. Now, I haven't seen much news about that. I went into my NFL draft bunker for a couple months, so I, I do miss uh, college football news during those two months sometimes. So maybe something happened with that case that I, I'm not aware of. But if Puka Williams ended up getting kicked off the Kansas football program because of that, um, we can toggle my predicted wins down uh, probably to 
to one, maybe, and and maybe not even that because he's basically the team. And Les Miles, I don't even know if Les Miles takes that job without Puka Williams, to be honest. He's the only star on the team. Yeah, and he, he's a very small dude. <laughs> the last update for uh, Puka that I saw, I just Googled it really quickly, that there's no timetable for his return, and that was like in March. Yeah, it's not good, boys. It's 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 not good. Uh, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, but yeah, if if it's bad enough that it warrants kicking Puka off the team, um, they already have no defense. You know, it was an awful defense last year, and they just lost their two best players, Joe Deneen, who was a tackle machine, and then the interior lineman, Daniel Wise. They're both gone now, so a, a bad defense is about to get worse. Um, and then they have a one-man show on offense. So if that gets erased... Um, it's going to be another long – well, it's going to be a long year of college of, of Kansas football anyway, but uh, it's going to be even longer if Puka's not out there. Khalil Herbert is still there, right? I believe so, unless he transferred because he got – he's a kid with some skill too that got caught behind Puka, right? And yeah. so I, I think he was a guy that thought he was he was just going to be the guy going forward. Um, and then, you know, he got usurped. But, yeah, I believe – He's back. It's still a college football now because, you know, with the transfer portal being open and with the restrictions going way down, it's very easy to get um, immediate eligibility now. And Herbert's a guy that probably could transfer as a grad, I would assume, because I believe he's heading into his senior year. But yeah, you know, if, uh, listen, if, if Puka's gone, Her- Herbert's going to be the guy that's going to get all the touches. And Herbert's a, he's a fine player, a decent player, but uh, you don't, you know, I mean, if he's your number one guy and you don't have anyone else, um, that is a truly horrific power five offense. Yeah, I just I don't think he has the explosiveness. From what I saw the few games that I watched of Kansas last year, Herbert, I just didn't think he had I don't I didn't think he had the talent to be the feature back. I liked him more as Puka's backup. But I mean obviously you know a lot more about Kansas football than me. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And Herbert's a guy, he can do some stuff like in space, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's limited, right? Like he's just like, uh, um, he's sort of just a sort of an okay, uh, type power five back, which, you know, typically in Kansas football over the, the past decade, that would have made him the star of the show on, on offense. It just so happened, unfortunately for him that, uh, you know, Kansas signed one of the, the best running backs that the Kansas has ever gotten. I mean, you, you know, you, you have to almost go back to the, you know, the Gale Sayers times, you know, to, to give, you know, a, a guy that has been a comparable talent to, to Puka running back. So that was unfortunate, but yeah, I mean, Her- Herbert, he's, he's going to have a role. He doesn't catch the ball much. You know, Puka does that as well. Um, but he's a guy, I think where you can sprinkle him in, uh, you know, on the early downs to give Puka, um, some rest because, you know, Puka is a guy who he's either getting hit very hard right around the line of scrimmage or he's scorching off, a, you know, a 70 yard catch and run or, a, you know, as, as, as a 70 yard, you know, sweep around the end or whatever. Uh, so, you know, I mean, you have to do something to limit, um, you know, his, his touches or the amount of time he's on the field in some way to, to hopefully extend him throughout the season, keep him healthy throughout the entire season. So Herbert's good with that, but yeah, like if, you know, if he's got to go back to the feature role and, and he, you know, that's, you know, I mean, especially with less miles coming in, um, it's going to skew even more run heavy. Um, I mean, that it's a good scenario, I think, for for Herbert, just as the player he is, to be the RB two to Puka in that uh, in in offense like that. I, I think he'll do decent in that role. But yeah, like you said, he's too limited. Um, you know, to 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 sort of you know uh, be the bell cow or to, to carry the weight or carry the water uh, for a power five offense. You know, he's you know in terms of starting, he's probably more of a G five uh, level player, but. We'll see how it shakes out, boys. I mean, he's no Kareem Hunt. Just want to point that out. 
Sure. All right. There you come go. down with your Toledo. You, you, you got so far without talking about Toledo, Brandon. I, I was know, getting I so happy with you. I'm sorry. When almost two episodes ago, talking about Toledo. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for us uh, today. We, I couldn't have, I couldn't think of a better first guest to have than Thor. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on, man. I had a great time. We definitely want to have you back, obviously. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, Honored to be here in your first episode and everything like that. So it was sweet. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, so have, have a great day. Have everyone have a great day. You can follow me on Twitter at Dilly Sanders. You can follow Brandon at WNS underscore Brandon. And of course, you can follow Thor at Thor KU. But you already probably do. So have a great day. Appreciate it, guys.